0: All right, Psalm thirty-seven. I was trying to think of a message, and 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 uh, uh, praying about a message that would be somewhat of a focus. Thinking about going into the new year, I told my brother-in-law Jason. He kind of stole one of the texts that normally is used. Uh, Luke fourteen is pretty common passage when you when it talks about the idea of who doesn't sit down and count the costs or consider what it would take to build. And the idea is sitting down and making resolutions or thinking about the future or. Uh, having some wisdom in how you plan, right? And so he stole that this morning. And so I thought, well, I won't use that passage. And so I kept searching around. And then honestly, this has nothing to do with that concept itself. But actually, I thought uh, Psalm 37, I think, gives quite a bit of, of thought. And David gives us, I think, a lot of thoughts that I do think apply to how we can look at an upcoming new year. And so I'll give some, I'll, I'll dig into it a little bit as we go. I'll be a little vague up front here. But um, let me give you just a little bit of some description of what Psalm 37 is about. Psalm 37, if you read, it's, it's 40 verses long, so it's a little lengthy. But Psalm 37 is really uh, a, a, a description of the evil man versus the righteous man. The ungodly versus the godly. The, the bad versus the good. And, God, and David actually spends quite a bit of time really kind of splitting those. Or, or how would you define a wicked man? And how would you define a righteous man? And let me just give you some, uh, again, an overview. So I'll give you a, just a few highlights of some of the verses. And then we'll read a lot more verses as we get into the message. But the wicked man descriptions. In verse number 12, he says, The wicked plotteth against the just. And gnasheth upon him with his teeth. He's he's basically talking about the idea that the wicked desire to hurt or harm or bring ruin to good people. That's how you would define a wicked person. In verse 14, it says, The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy and to slay such as of up a, a be of upright conversation. You know, you can you can identify someone that is wicked of heart or have wicked intentions when they seek to overthrow something that is right, something that is truth. Uh, You know, we live in an age right now where everybody talks about misinformation, and generally, it's conservative conversation that is determined to be misinformation. And whenever I see that, I say, the wicked are doing what the wicked do. They are trying to overthrow the upright. They are trying to throw a sword or a dagger or bring harm to what would be truth what would be righteousness? That is the way of a wicked person. Sometimes I have to ask myself, is someone doing right and I'm kind of in the way of that? I feel like sometimes I've done that probably to my kids. They're trying to do something right, but I'm either frustrated because it's not working, and I'll be like, just stop doing that, and I'll realize, actually, they were trying to do something right, even if it wasn't the best way or wasn't coming out the best. I don't want to stand in the way of them trying to do what's right. I mean, that's what a wicked person would do. They try to bring harm or, or slow, or again, they pour out, pull out the poor and needy, the people that are helpless, and they, and they, and they, and they bring uh, pain or, or wrath upon them. Look at verse number 21. It says, The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again. Boy, they don't repay their debts. They don't hold to their word. They're liars. Boy. Boy. Does that define me sometimes? Do I have a credit card I need to pay off and get out from under this thing? It's not that simple, but the wicked are just known for taking and taking and they don't give. They don't repay. They just take what they want and keep taking and they don't give back. Verse 32, the wicked watcheth the righteousness and seeketh to slay him. So again, another thought. You know, they are looking. You know, sometimes, I told pastor this, I said, sometimes it seems like You try to live right and nobody knows it. Do you know that the unrighteous actually are watching the righteous? I mean, what else would they have to do if it wasn't to combat good that's going on? I mean, they're not pursuing good. They're not glorifying God. They're not giving the gospel. The only thing they they can do is try to thwart good things. And so they're watching. And they're watching how we live. They're watching what we say. They're looking for... A hypocrisy. they're looking for uh, things that they can slander or things that they can uh, hold us, uh, uh, put blame on us. They're watching what we do. And then there's a lot of verses that say this. I mean, verses 1, 9, 13, 34, 36, 38. We won't read all of them. But ultimately, the wicked man is, de- is described as being someone whose end is ultimately destruction. Verse 1 says, uh, uh, Be not... En- Don't be envious against the work, verse 2, sorry, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Verse 38, but the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The end of the wicked shall be cut off. There is an end to their wickedness. You know there is not an end to righteousness? Isn't that a great thought? I mean, even as much as I might struggle to live righteously, there is not an end to pursue righteousness. And then ultimately in glory and in heaven, it is... All righteous. But you know that wickedness has an end. It has an end. It has a final judgment. God will at some point cut off wickedness. And David is reminding that, hey, the end to these evildoers is destruction. The end of their transgression is destruction. So the wicked man is described. And then here's some descriptions of the righteous man. Verse number 11 says this, "...but the meek shall inherit the earth." and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The thought of being meek is is really a a thought of being humble. It's a humility. The righteous man is a humble person. Verse 16 says, A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. Basically, the thought is this, that what a righteous man has, even if it's little, satisfies and pleases and is much better than if I had a lot. Isn't that counterculture? Brother Rusty, as he's been teaching on Isaiah chapter 6, has been talking about the culture that is around us. He talked about these woes in chapter 5, and all the woes, and the many, many of these woes really deal with the idea of a gluttony for things, and a gluttony for money, and a gluttony for power, and a gluttony for just whatever I can get, whatever I can get. And, and David is saying, the wicked person that just gets and gets and gets is far less satisfied and is far less uh, pleased with what he has than just a righteous man that has just a little bit, but yet he lives in his righteousness. Verses 18, 19, and 25. Uh, again, we won't read all these, but we'll just read 18 and 19. It says this, The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be Satisfied, You know, the righteous man is someone that is provided for by God. God provides for the righteous man. And again, not in the provision that our human minds oftentimes will think of. A provision is a huge bank account or a provision is a huge full table of all sorts of food. That's not always the provision, but it'll always be what satisfies. God provides what satisfies, not what uh, you know, we, we're enamored by or what we are desiring. God knows what we need. And the righteous man has what he needs. Verses 30 and 31, the righteous man, the mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Hey, the righteous man knows how to speak with wisdom and righteousness. You know, um, I've been doing this thing for my kids. I'm not trying to say this to flout myself or anything, but uh, the Lord just put it on my heart last year just every morning, I try to get up and I read the proverb of the day. And, and then in, in that proverb, I try to find at least one verse. And I type it out for each of the kids. And I put a little saying or like a little explanation. And I put it in each of their lunch boxes every day. And so every day when they go to lunch, they're not all good at it. Yeah, you know who you are. And uh, so they don't all read them every single day. So, uh, but what it is, is it's just something that I'm, I'm trying to say, Lord, you told me to put the word of God before them. And so they're at school, and I can't just say verses to them, so here's a way to give them a verse. And what I find oftentimes in Proverbs that I come to is things that have to do with the tongue. I'm like, you're going to be known for who you are by a lot by what you say. And do people hear what you say, and, 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 and the things that come out of your mouth, does it speak to being a righteous man, or does it speak to being an unwise, foolish person? Proverbs has a lot to say about that and about the tongue. Verses 39 and 40, David says, Salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in Him. The righteous get deliverance and they get strength from God. And then lastly, go to verse 23 and 24. Here's the last description. And this is kind of at the, at the core uh, thought this, this evening here. Verses 23 and 24, he says this, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. A righteous man's steps are guided by the Lord. And so sometimes, you you know, ask yourself, okay, where am I at in the eyes of God? Am I doing wickedly or am I doing righteously? Well, a good question to ask is, who's guiding my steps? If I'm ordering my own steps, most likely it's in the flesh then. And it's 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 gonna be a way that is my way, which Proverbs tells us there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are what? The ways of death. I mean it just leads to destruction if I try to do things my own way. David says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. If I want to be a righteous and a good man, not in my eyes and not, not even in your eyes, but in the eyes of God then it ought to be where God is the one that's directing my steps. God is the one that is dictating the path that I am following. And so I started just thinking, well, how do I have steps of a good man? How do I have the steps of a good man? And so I'm going to highlight 10 action phrases or verbs that are used here in this passage. There might be more than 10, uh, but I pulled out 10 that I think are actions that we should say, if I want my steps this next year to be ordered by the Lord, these are 10 actions I must take. These are 10 actions I must take and commit to. And uh, I've told you this before, I am not a big resolutions person. I don't sit down and write out a lot of resolutions, mainly because I never keep them. I made a big resolution last year that I was going to run a half marathon this year. It's not going (laughs) to happen. The Lord kind of saw fit to that. I sprained my ankle like two and a half weeks ago, and so I haven't been able to run for a few weeks. And then I said, okay, Lord, I guess I didn't need to make my own plans. (laughs) So uh, when do you want me to run that? (laughs) So we'll maybe put that on the list for next year. Uh, But uh, other than that, I really didn't make, I don't make a whole lot of resolutions. But I started thinking, I was like, I don't necessarily need to make resolutions, but there's actions I can say that are biblical actions that I can say, these are things I ought to act upon. And this isn't about being a resolution, or i got to set a goal, or i got to set a, uh, uh, some sort of number to this. This is just saying, Lord, help me to live out these actions that David says are actions that a right person, a righteous person, would do. And so we're going to do a little study here of these 10 actions. This is not complicated, uh, but the thought is this, is that if I do these 10 actions, then I believe that God would be then ordering my steps, that I would be in a position of being a good man, that God would be ordering my steps. And that's where I want to be. In 2022, I want to be able to say, God is the one that has ordered my steps. I want God to look at me and say, there's a good man whose steps I can order. Again, not so that you guys can be pleased, and not that I can call myself a good man, but that's what God would call us, is a good man that he can order his steps, and that he delighteth in his way. Boy, don't we want God to delight in us? Don't we want God to delight in the way that he's able to take us and that we're following in that way? So we're going to look at these. These are spread throughout this chapter here. Uh, 10, you're welcome to... I, I did not alliterate these. I went against my norm. And so these are just straight out of the passage here. But number one, verse number one says this. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. The first action is just simply fret not. What does the word fret mean? Well, that's probably, that's part of it. Someone someone else said it. Worry. Anybody worry in here? I think we all worry. Sony and I are, I'll speak for myself. I, I'll try not to lump her in because then I'll be worried about later. Uh, but... <laughs> We are the worst about Christmas shopping. I mean, even if we talk about it in like August, what are we going to do this year for Christmas gifts? It is like Thursday of this week that we're still getting like final things, you know, and trying to figure it out. And we're like, why do we do this every year? And I begin to fret. I'm like, our kids are going to open up nothing on Christmas. And I get all anxious about it. That's kind of silly. It's not really something that you need to be anxious about. We're anxious about all sorts of things, are we not? We're anxious about provision, and we're anxious about jobs, and we're anxious about, you know, even thinking, I was thinking about this, and I'm not saying Brother Brian is anxious. I'm thankful to hear his testimony of being prayerful about this whole vaccine mandate thing at work, and I think he's trying to take the right steps. I think he's trying to do the right thing. But honestly, I think there's anxiety that comes with that kind of stuff, okay, of well, what, what am I going to do about my job then? Or And again, I've kind of got the same thing. Thankfully, I get to work from home, and so, so far it's not been a big deal about this vaccine mandate. But when it first came out, I thought the same thing. Well, am I not going to have a job? I mean, I don't know. And you, again, it, it, it could be all sorts of things, but we are so good at fretting, yeah. especially in the place that we live here in America and that we're so used to just everything being convenient and available. Everybody tells us in politics that we have all these rights and entitlements to everything, and that we, should, we all deserve to live a good, glamorous, prosperous, money filled life. And that if, they, if we can't get it on our own, the government will give it to us. And so we've got this mentality that's like, I should never have to worry about anything. And so when something does come up, we worry and fret. David himself here says, Frighten not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious. You know what David is saying, and you see this many times throughout the, the Psalms. That David oftentimes observed the people around him that were doing wicked, and he got anxious, even to the point of envious or covetous, because they were seeming prosperous. And yet, what was he doing? Hiding in caves? Running from Saul? Sometimes not knowing if he had a meal, sometimes not knowing what 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 his life was gonna what what risk he was gonna have in his life and, and security he was gonna have? And and David's saying, hey, fret not. Stop being so worrisome and anxious thinking about what other people have and are prospering and have this or that. Stop doing that. This next year, boy, if I want God to direct my steps, I need to avoid being anxious and worrisome. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is a familiar verse. We know this verse says, be careful for nothing. The word careful is the same idea of being anxious or worrisome. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. It's amazing that we oftentimes forget the thought about thanksgiving. We say, okay, okay, I've got to give everything to God in prayer and I won't be worrisome. You know one of the best ways to not be anxious and worrisome is to be thankful. Spend some time just giving thanks for things that you're oftentimes worrying about. You know, even you know, a health thing. And, and, you know, obviously we don't desire to have health things and even pastor uh, recently and and, and things like that. uh, You know, I doubt he's sitting at home wanting to be thankful for COVID, but there's something within that to be thankful for. Whether it was more time to be at home or whether it was more time to invest in a project that he wanted to do at home or whatever it might be, there's something that in talking to him, I know he was going to try to find something to be thankful for in that. Why? Because otherwise you're probably just going to fret. You're just going to worry about it. What am I not getting done? What's going on at the church or what's going on here? When I fret about things, uh, I lose sight of of what the blessings really are that I have. So we ought to be thankful. Matthew 6, 25, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink or what you shall clothe yourself upon. He's saying don't take thought for those things. Why? Because God's going to provide for them. Hebrews 13, 6, so that we may boldly say the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. I will not fear. I will not be anxious. I will not worry what man can do unto me. No, no, no. I'm just going to say the Lord's my helper. I'm thankful the Lord's provided what he has. I'm thankful the Lord helped me with what he has. And fret not. Hey, we want to take good steps this year. Get over some anxiety. And you don't need pills for it. And again, I, I don't, I'm not trying to downplay uh, legitimate medical needs and things like that. So I, I'm not trying to say that. But I do think uh, over... Whelmingly, overwhelmingly, we, we run to those kind of things. Unfortunately, I think it creates more anxiety. I don't think it necessarily cures anything. I think the, the Bible gives us a pretty good cure. Be prayerful and give thanks. And I think that'll help us with anxiety. Number two, what's another action we can take? It Well, just another verse down, verse number three. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. The second action is to trust in the Lord. I started considering and thinking about, what do I rely on? The word trust simply means to rely. Pastors used this example before, but if I'm going to trust this chair uh, when I sit down, it just means I'm going to rely on this chair that it's going to hold me up. And when I sit down, I'm not going to question whether it's going to hold me up or not. I'm just going to sit down in the chair. I'm not going to because this one might break. But you all sat in that chair tonight and didn't question it or didn't say, is every screw in perfectly and is everything right? No, no, no. We've been sitting in these chairs for years And they've held us up, and so we sit in the chair without even thinking about it. That's really the same thought for the Lord. Why do we spend so much time questioning whether we should trust the Lord about something? Was everything in the right place, Lord? Is everything as sturdy as it should be? Are all the bases covered? Is there a plan B, a plan C? Is everything ready? Because then I'm ready to trust. We ought to treat the Lord like we would trust a chair and just trust. Has He ever failed? In our eyes, we will oftentimes say, well, it didn't come out the way I want, so we'll call that a failure, but God has never failed by his standards. David says, when you trust in God, there's security. Think about the thought he just says there, you'll dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. He's just saying this, when you trust in the Lord, your needs are met. The idea of dwell is to abundantly live somewhere. I mean, he's just saying, you're going to dwell in the land. You're going to get to inhabit and enjoy the land. Why? Because I'm not worried and trusting in all these other things. I just trust the Lord, and I get to then enjoy where God puts me. I get to just inhabit the land and dwell in it that God's given me. If I just trust in him. <clears throat> we could read a lot of verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We know, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. Psalm 141.8 says, but mine eyes are unto thee, O God, the Lord. In thee is my trust, leave not my soul destitute. Hey, how do I have provision? How do I have my needs met? How do I feel fed and satisfied? Oh, just trust the Lord. Psalm 27 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. There's a whole lot of things out there vying for your trust and your reliance and your attention. Uh, Satan is busy, busy, busy to try to get your trust off of the things of God and off of God's word and to get onto all the other things around us. And David is just reminding us, trust in the Lord. And thou shalt dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Number three here, there in verse number four, he says, Delight thyself in the Lord. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Anybody here like chocolate ice cream? Oh, Sarah, man, she got excited. (laughs) So, babe, what is that brand of ice cream? Is it Blue Bell? I don't know which one it is. But Sonia, unfortunately, buys a lot of ice cream for us. And she comes home, and they're not just like these half-carton things. I could probably just deal with that. But she brings home the big things. And this one is called Dutch Chocolate. It is like the best ice cream at like 10.30 at night sitting in bed with the whole carton, <laughs> right? Like, that's the only way you can eat that. I delight in that chocolate ice cream. I do. I delight in it. You know, the word delight uh, just means to basically find enjoyment in, to find pleasure in, to be ha- happy about, to make merry over something. It even says to be pampered by something, it's just something that pampers you. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel happy. It brings enjoyment to you. That's ice cream, chocolate ice cream. Just plain chocolate. Don't put chunks or anything in it. Just chocolate ice cream. It's great. Brings delight. You know what he's saying is David's saying, delight in the Lord. Does God bring happiness to you? Does the thought of God, does the things of God, the things of God's word, the things of God's people, his church, Uh, Prayer, singing, do those things bring delight to you? If they don't, then you're delighting in something else. You're asking something else to bring you happiness. You're You're seeking something else to bring you some pampering. And you know what? The things of this world will pamper you for a little bit. There is pleasure in it for a season. I mean, it'll pamper you for a little bit, but it doesn't last. And you just need to keep being pampered. And pampered, that ice cream does not last. And then when it's gone, I say, babe, don't buy any more. (laughs) Two weeks later, it was on sale. (laughs) And we got more. I said, okay, babe, after this one, no more. Actually, I think Chris is starting to eat more of it now. I think he likes it like I do. Uh, But delight. Do I delight in the things of God? Do I delight in God? He says, if you delight thyself also, Lord, he shall give thee desires of thine heart. The word desire there of thine heart is not to imply all those wicked, fleshly things that we desire. No, no, no. If I'm delighting in God, my desires are are, going to match that. What are are desires that God would want? Oh, I would desire to be in church. Oh, I would desire to get something from God's word. Well, when I delight in him, you know what happens? Those desires are met. Oh, I desire to be able to share the gospel. God, I delight in you and I want to share the gospel. You know what he does? He brings about an answer to your desire. A desire that aligns with delighting in Him. Sometimes we take these things out. Of, uh, these are, this is why sometimes topical gets misconstrued as people say, delight in the Lord and you get all the desires of your heart and you got people out there preaching. If you delight in God, you'll make a lot of money. You delight in God, you can drive any car you want. You delight in God, you can have the biggest house. You delight in God. And unfortunately, they're not delighting in God. They're delighting in those things. And they're using God as a crutch to say they got it. That's not, what, that's not what David is saying. The desires of my heart, if I'm truly delighting in God, are going to match what God's desires are. And God doesn't desire a big house. Now, if you have a big house and you've been delighting in God and God is blessed and God has provided that, okay, great. You ought to still delight in God and not delight in that house. You ought to delight in God and not in that car. Delight thyself also, in Lord. Is he the one that makes you happy? Is he the one that brings merriness to your soul and brings uh, a pampering and a delight and a happiness and a joy uh, uh, to what you think on? Delight in him. Number four, here in verse number five, he says, commit thy way unto the Lord. So we've got fret not, trust in the Lord, delight thyself, commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. Whatever we do this next year, we ought to say that we will do it for the Lord and for His glory, not for ourselves. We talked about James chapter 4 just a few weeks ago uh, in a Sunday school class. James 4, uh, was the, the idea is, is James is rebuking the believers because they would say, tomorrow we're going to go to the city and buy and sell and get gain. And James says, why? You don't even know what your life is. Your life is like a vapor. It vanishes like this. For ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we will go to such and such a city, and we will go and do such and such a thing. And he says, basically, don't be lifted up and be, and be prideful that I can dictate what tomorrow will be. I can't dictate tomorrow. David's saying, commit thy way unto the Lord. Lord, whatever you would have for me tomorrow. Whatever, wherever I'm at right now, let me just be faithful in where you've got me and wherever you bring me tomorrow, let me be faithful in that. And whatever it is, Lord, I commit to you. I commit to what you would have me to do, if God will. Again, a common verse, 1 Corinthians ten thirty one. whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, we all know the last phrase, do all to the glory of God. That's right. Do all to the glory of God. Proverbs 16, 3. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. You know, sometimes I feel really just kind of sporadic. I'm like, what is it that I got to get accomplished? And what is it that I got to do? And what is it that I. You know what um, Solomon is saying is that when you commit things to the Lord, it brings some sanity, (laughs) it brings some order to your thoughts. They're going to be established, they'll be structured. You'll have some clarity on what it is that God wants me to do. But when we're not committed to what God wants us to do, boy, we could chase after all sorts of things and yet not really accomplish a whole lot. He says, commit thy works in the Lord, thy thoughts shall be established. So David is saying, hey, commit thy way in the Lord. Trust also in him, he shall bring it to pass. When we commit our way to the Lord, look, if I'm committing everything to the Lord, then everything will come to pass. Why? Because it's the Lord's way. You know why things don't get accomplished that I want to get accomplished? Because I did them for me. Or did them for myself. But if I'm doing something and the Lord, I'm saying, Lord, is this what you want me to do? Yes, I want you to go share the gospel with that person. Well, then when I go do what he tells me to do, you know what happened? It came to pass. Whoa, look at that. God's will was done in my life. Sometimes we're chasing God's will just simply because we're will, not willing to do God's will. And what he already tells us to do. Commit thy works unto the Lord. Number five, skip up to verse number seven here. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself, there's fret again, because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Rest in the Lord. We live in a very restless society. Go, 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 do, 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 do all the time. It is very difficult for people to rest. This is actually one thing I told pastor Uh, I don't think pastor is a restless person. I think pastor uh, tries to balance church and his home and things like that. But I told him, I said, hey, maybe COVID for you is just a little extra rest, a time just to be still, Uh, a time. uh, The word rest uh, really has the idea of of being still. Uh, It actually is the idea of being silent or being silenced. It actually even has the word dumb, the idea of not speaking. The word rest just simply means to stop and be quiet. What happens when you're silenced? You can hear better. Yeah, you can hear better and listen. David says, rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Just take some time to be quiet. Let all the noise around you be drowned out by just listening to what God has for us. There's so many things around us, so much noise that's telling us, hey, make this decision, make this move, make this change, invest in this, put this here, do this. Um, I got a friend at work that we talk every once in a while around investing and reach out to me and say, man, did you see that stock? If I would have just invested in that like two weeks ago, it's like up 600%, man. I wouldn't Look how much I would have made. Yeah. Man, if I would have invested, anybody in here would have invested a thousand dollars in Bitcoin eight years ago. You know how much money you'd have right now? Not just a million, two million. You'd have like 25, 30 million dollars off of a thousand bucks. I'm restless about that. Not really. Right? But you know what? We're constantly being bombarded by things that say, make a decision, make a decision, make a decision, just go, just go, go, go. And there's no rest. There's no peace. There's no quiet. We're just constantly going and going and going. And uh, David's saying, hey, rest. Again, I think about the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. This is what a good, a righteous man would do is take some time and rest and just be quiet and listen for what God would have you to do. Sony and I throughout our life, uh, and and we're not the ones that came up with this. I think even Dave Ramsey talks about this and others who uh, teach about trying to be smart with your finances. Sony and I have always tried to make it a point when we make a purchase, we try to give 24 to 48 hours. Even if someone tells us this deal will end tomorrow. If it's true and it ends tomorrow, then I guess I missed out. And honestly, my life is probably not any worse for it. And, and many, many times we waited and it either stayed and we got clarity to do it. Or it went away and we had a piece to say it wasn't meant to be. And really all that that taught us was a little bit of rest a little bit of just silence, hear what, what wisdom God would impart, read from his word, what am I hearing, what am I praying, Is, am I getting an answer versus just rushing into things. The wicked people just rush into decisions and rush into life. There's, a, there's a, a need to rest. And I just, again, commit this year that we should say, Lord, there needs to be times where I just rest and I listen for what you have for me to do so that I can commit my way unto you, that I can follow after you, that I can trust in you deeper, and I just need to listen. Psalm 4.4 4 says, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Be still. Matthew 11.28 says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Again, the idea of rest is not just relief, like, oh, good, I'm relaxed. Again, it's the idea of I will give you rest peace. I will give you some quietness from all the noise of all your labor. Come to me and I'll make it a little quieter for you. I'll make it a little bit more clear of what needs to be done. I'll take that burden of that noise. I'll take that. My yoke is as heavy. He can take that. And he wants to. Uh, Number six, let's run through these last five. I know we're running short on time. Number six here, verse number eight, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself. The word fret is in here several times. Not thyself in any wise to do evil. Cease from anger. That's a good one for me. In the year 2022, how can I be a good man? How can God order my steps? I ought to be someone that can hold off on some anger. Pastor's been preaching about emotions in scripture. He's been preaching about anger, righteous versus unrighteous anger. And he even quoted this verse. And the idea that anger ought to be something that is short-lived on us. There's nothing, there are right times to be angry. Brother Rusty's even brought this up in Sunday school, but there are right times to be angry, and there's things that are worthy of being angry about, but it ought to be short-lived. Because anger that festers turns into wrath. And wrath is like rage. It's an outpouring of emotion and action that is going to end up being wrong. And so anger ought to lead us to righteousness. It it shouldn't lead us to wrath. And what David is saying is, hey, cease from anger. Cease from getting angry about things that are just going to get you boiled up and get you uh, furious, and then all of a sudden you lash out. That's not what a good man would do. That's not what a righteous man would do. And, of course, he, he associates that with fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Don't worry again about these evil people and the evil that they're doing. Don't fret about those things. That's what gets us all angry. I could get all into politics tonight and all sorts of things. We spend too much time talking about that. But politics, finances, hypocrisy we see around us, wickedness, all sorts of things. We could be angry every single day. And again, some things are worthy of getting angry about. But we ought to say, okay, I'm angry about that, Lord. Now what do you want me to do about it? And then we do something righteous and we move on from the anger. Ephesians says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Again, the principle is just, look, I can be angry, but I need to let that that go. I need to let that wrath, I need to let that anger go before the sun sets. Why? Because if I I don't, he says, neither give place to the devil. I'm going to allow the devil opportunity to use that anger to turn into something that I don't want it to turn into. And I can show you all sorts of verses. Uh, Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful, gracious, slow to anger, plenteous and mercy. Proverbs says, He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly, and a man of wicked devices is hated. says, He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding. So we ought to say, Lord, help me this year to, be, to cease from too much anger, to, to forsake wrath, to, to, to put myself far away from getting angry about all sorts of things and evil things. Number seven here says in verse number 27, we'll skip a good chunk here where he did a lot of his describing of the wicked and righteous man. Verse number 27, he says, depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. Depart from evil. This is just a pretty simple statement, but remove ourselves from evil. Hey, listen, this next year, you're going to have plenty of temptations that are going to come your way. If anybody thinks that 2022 is somehow going to be a year where you've conquered never having a temptation and that life is going to be a breeze in your Christian walk, and that your flesh is going to somehow just go away, and you're going to just float in the Spirit for a year. It doesn't happen, right? I mean, every year I think we all you know, have to, in some degree, say, okay, Lord, this last year I think back to some of the faults and some of the failures, and boy, some of the things I still fell into, uh, habit-wise or temptation-wise. Okay, Lord, this year I need to overcome that. Hey, if I want to have my steps ordered by the Lord, I need to depart from evil. Daniel 1, Daniel says I pur-, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Psalm 119, 101, I have, refa- I have refrained or I've kept my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. 1 Corinthians 10 says there's no temptation taking you but such as coming. To but God will make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. There's a way out of every temptation. There's a way out of everything that would come and and come against our flesh and say, hey, come do this. No, I want to depart from evil. Romans 12 says, abhor that which is evil. Number eight really is just the second one there in that verse. It's depart from evil and do good. You know, it's one thing to say, okay, I'm not going to give in to that temptation. You know the easiest way to not fall to a temptation is when the temptation comes and you say, I need to abhor that which is evil. You know what I then should do? Cleave to that which is good. The idea of cleave is that I immediately go and do something that is good. It's like, um, you know, we would, we would uh, go to camp in the summers and, and, and teen camp, and uh, there'd be several of the, of the boys. I wasn't necessarily one of them, even though I did have my issues with music and things like that, but there were some uh, teens that, I mean, you know, just had all sorts of... of of just garbage music and they'd get done at teen camp and they'd be convicted and they would say oh man I need to get rid of that stuff and we came home a couple times and we'd put out this metal trash can and we'd start a fire and these guys would come and we'd all sit there and smash cds together and burn their music and we'd say this is wicked get rid of this and we'd all rejoice and get excited and we'd be like that's amazing you're departing from evil and like a month later I go ride in their vehicle and they're cleaving back to evil I'm like, well, where did that go? Well, you know what the biggest problem was? It wasn't that they didn't depart from evil, but they didn't go choose something that was good. They didn't replace it with anything, and they have this void of needing to listen to some music. And so what happens? Well, I just end up listening to the same music because I don't have anything else to replace it with. And that can come in all forms of entertainment. That can come in all forms of spending habits. That can come in all forms of of what we allow ourselves to read or to... To do whatever. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we might cleave to. And we should say, okay, this year I need to stop doing that. But if I'm going to really stop doing that, Lord, give me something good to read. Okay, I'm going to go start reading this book. And this book is going to help me grow my Christian walk. And I'm going to spend my time reading this instead of watching that. Or I'm going to go find a couple CDs and listen to this music so that I'm not listening to this music. If I want to depart from evil, I need to cleave to good. They go hand in hand. Number nine here, verse number 34. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. The idea of wait on the Lord is just be patient. It can go along with rest. It can go along with trust and delighting in the Lord. And, uh, but this idea of just waiting on him. <clears throat> Sony and I, I've, I've mentioned this before, we've been doing our flooring in our house forever now. Back in September, we said, All right, we're going we're gonna to get it done right before Thanksgiving holiday. And so I started taking out tiles. Sonia's like, Are you sure you want to start doing this? And I took out a tile. I said, Well, we started. <laughs> and so, we, I, I mean, do you want to look at one tile missing or do you want me to take it all up? So I took uh, that month and we took all the tiles up and we ripped up all the carpet and we're like, Man, it's kind of cool being on this cement. Good thing it won't last long. We're still living on cement. <laughs> And it's not a bad thing. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, we've had to learn to wait. And uh, Sony and I even said, we said, you know, if we would have just back in October really just went and picked out the floor we want and, and gotten this all set, we, w- we would have been fine to have this done around Thanksgiving. And then yet, <coughs> when we finally found the one we wanted, we even still that same day, Sony's like, should we just do it tonight? And I said, what if we just give it a few more days? The guy said there might be a better deal on this flooring. We had a few more days. We waited four more days, got a call. It dropped in price again, and then it was, so it was even cheaper. I said, now we'll do it, babe. See what waiting does for you? Just wait. And then it was on back order, and (laughs) so it'll get installed in the next couple weeks, we think. And so we waited, and then we keep waiting. That's just a silly, honestly, a very silly, small, Uh, example, but the idea of wait is just don't rush into making, taking action in life. Allow God to direct. Allow God to show you what you want to do, and oftentimes, and most times, when you wait on the Lord, the outcome is much more pleasant, and it's much more uh, uh, pleasing to see what God allows to work out than when we just, I'm going to go. I can't keep waiting. I'm just going to do it, and then you're frustrated, and then you have regrets, and then now you've got to deal with anxiety, which you need to stop fretting about. And it's just like a vicious cycle, and then you get angry. Yeah. But wait, wait on the Lord. Waiting is such a hard concept for us. And I wish we had time. We'd look at Job 23. Uh, Job, they're responding to one of his friends that's telling him, well, it must be sin in your life, Job, as to why God did all this. And Job basically, in verse 13, reminds us and, and says to his, his reply, says, I mean, can I really know what God is going to do that I would... I mean, is it going to change what God desires? I mean, God's going to do what God's going to do. I have no say in that. Solomon says that in Ecclesiastes 3. I don't get to determine what God's going to do, so I'll just wait. And that's what Job ended up doing, right? Job just waited for God to show why he did what he did. And God rewarded him for that because he waited. And then lastly here, just another practical thought here. Verse number 37 David says this, Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. What is the first, what, what comes to mind? What is, what is David saying there? Mark the perfect man. I think what he's saying is look for the right company. Look for the right company. I know many people have said this, but they say that uh, if, if you showed me, I think it's like the 10 books, that you've read, 10 books that you've read recently and the friends that you hang out with, I'll tell you who you're going to be 20 years from now. Something like that is the quote. And basically the idea is this, is what you read and who you hang out with will determine where you end up going in the future. The people that you associate with, the people that you get advice from, the people that you uh, fellowship with on a regular basis, the people that you call friends and that you uh, take heed to what they would say to you is going to determine the path that you follow. And I think what David is saying is, Mark the perfect man, behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. He's saying, find that man. The word mark, is to, uh, the, the word mark there means to keep or to heed, to, to basically take hold of that type of a person. You know what? This next year, the type of people you ought to say, this is who I want to influence my life, are people that are upright People that are perfect. The idea of perfect is they're growing and developing and becoming more like Christ. A complete person. Why? The end of that man is peace. You know, how many relationships do we have that we somehow count them to be, these are necessary relationships and yet there's always conflict in them. There's always irritation or frustration. Oh, that person always irritates me or frustrates me. There's no peace. (laughs) I want to have a relationship this year that creates peace and, and brings us towards Christ. That's what I want. Keep wise counsel. Seek godly friends. Proverbs 27, iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with wise men and thou shalt be wise. So what does that mean? Well, if I walk with foolish men, I'm going to be a fool. So who do you keep acquaintance with? Who do you surround yourself with? Again, these are just some very, very simple thoughts. Ten actions that we could commit to this year that we would say, Lord, help me to do these things. Help me not to fret. Help me to delight and trust and commit, rest, wait. Help me to avoid anger. Help me to have the right godly acquaintances and friends. And if so, I think we'd be able to say, hey, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. I think God would delight in our way this year, this next year, as we commit to these types of actions in our life. Actions that would resemble a righteous person. Amen. And so I trust that we would uh, seek to do that this next year.